0: Right. Well, thank you for that. You know, between the lesson this morning and the song that was just sung and, uh, of course, the, the uh, lesson you're about to um, receive, there's a recurring theme throughout the day. And that is, of course, seeking first the kingdom of God, making him the reason. He truly is the reason. And so we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm Chapter 27, the 27th Psalm, if you will. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, once you find it, if you would just stand in reverence to God's word, we're going to read verse number 13, even though we're going to cover the bulk of this psalm. We're just going to look at Psalm 27, verse number 13. Psalm 27, verse 13, where the psalmist says, I had fainted. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray. I pray that your hand would be upon the service this morning. Lord God, use the preaching of your word. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and in our lives. Father, truly, that we will make those uh, those uh, biblical choices today. And Father, in so doing, lift you up. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. We're talking about two worlds this morning. There's the world in which we live in. And then, there, of course, there is the world that deals with God's goodness. And it's called various things throughout the Word of God. Here we see it, the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, or, um, as, uh, uh, as the New Testament calls us, uh, the land of faith and the land of sight. Now, the psalmist here in our portion of Scripture is obviously burdened by the present circumstances of his life. As a matter of fact, he said, if not for the goodness of the Lord in this world, he said, I would have fainted. I'd have given up. I'd have thrown in the towel. And that's what that means, uh, to, uh, to uh, just give in to all the pressures of society and the pressures of the land that we live in. The very fact that he asked the question at the beginning of this psalm, Psalm chapter uh, 27, verse number 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And now he asked this question, Whom shall I fear? And then he follows that up by, Of whom shall I be afraid? It indicates that he is struggling with these very feelings. That uh, uh, what am I going to fear and who am I going to be afraid of? And he is in a state of reminding himself of the promises of God. Look at verse number two. When the wicked, even mine enemies, my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. You know, this is the, the strength that is derived from being around God's people, from being in God's church, and from being constantly in the word of God. You can remind yourself, and and when you forget, others can remind you. That's why we come to church, to be exhorted by one another, to be reminded that God is greater. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. No matter what the world may throw at us, God can overcome. Verse number 14 of Psalm 27, he comes to this conclusion. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So as he's in this state of reminding himself of the promises of God, we are reminded of the fact that doubting the word of God is a sin. And it often leads to other sins. It often will lead to compromises in our lives. And though it is a sin, doubt just seems to come natural to us when the circumstances of life are not favorable. We all fall into that trap of doubting God's word and doubting God's promises and doubting the things that we have heard. And then, of course, that's where compromise can creep in. Though it is sin and doubt seems natural. uh, We do have the tools to overcome the sin of doubt. Keep your finger here in Psalms 27. We're going to stay in the book of Psalms, but go to the uh, 119th Psalm, if you will. The 119th Psalm and verse number 9. Psalm 119 And verse number 9, the psalmist writes, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By the way, doubt is one of those things that needs to be cleansed from our lives. Negativity is one of those things that need to be cleansed from our lives. Murmuring and complaining need to be cleansed. Whenever we think of, of being cleansed, we always think of these great abhorrent sins. Like, uh, like fornication, adultery. But actually, pride is one of those sins that needs to be scrubbed out of our lives. Doubting God is one of those sins that need to be scrubbed out of our lives. Verse number 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can I get this sin out of my life? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Simple obedience to the word of God will keep you from being Negative. Verse number 10, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Remember the lesson we learned this morning, just a few minutes ago. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. With my whole heart, he says, I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And so now we look at verse number twenty-seven, and how is the psalmist overcoming these doubts that are in his that are in his heart, these doubts that are in his mind? Uh, I, I, I'm tempted to be fearful. I'm tempted to be afraid. I'm tempted to let the world overcome me. He's he's uh, being a, he's he's able to overcome. Because he's being reminded of the Word of God. He has laid the Word of God in his heart. And so it is a constant reminder to him. God gives us the tools to overcome. We just often neglect those tools. Because we would much rather doubt. And much rather be negative. Well the glorious truth that we find in this psalm. Is that anyone can have faith. And anyone can win the victory regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Here's one of the mistakes that we often make when we read the Bible. We often attribute to our Bible heroes unnatural abilities that enable them to get the victories that we read about. And so we'll read about David overcoming. Well, you know, he has these unnatural abilities. And we'll read about uh, uh, Paul and Silas singing in jail... We'll say, well, they had, they had strength that I just don't have. And we'll read about our Bible heroes and we'll say, well, well, they could do that. We'll read about Joseph in the prison and we'll read about Joseph in the pit and, and we'll, we'll attribute to him some kind of unnatural ability, some Herculean ability that allowed him to get through when the truth of the matter is these were just normal people with the same doubts that you and I have The same problems, actually many of them had greater problems than we have. It's just that they took heed to the word of God. And that was what enabled them to overcome in their times of trouble. St. David, who is probably the author of this psalm, reveals to us, he said, "I I, I had fainted unless I had believed. Faith is what got him through, not some unnatural Herculean physical ability. He says, faith is the only thing that got me through. The key to the psalmist's positive outlook, in spite of his circumstances, had to do with his faith and that which is spiritual. You know, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, the woman in Samaria... Uh, He he laid forth this theology. He said this, he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so as a Christian, if we want to live our lives victoriously, we got to get past this physical life and start living in the spiritual life. ...and start living for that which is spiritual. Two worlds, a physical life and a spiritual life. Or a physical world and a spiritual world. One that is seen only by the eyes of faith... ...and then one that is easily seen through the natural eyes of the body. A constant theme in the Bible is that we live for the spiritual... And that the spiritual is not always immediate and right before us. Faith is easily tried. And God's word reveals several things about our faith in the spiritual. Just three things real quickly, and this is still part of the introduction. But three things that God's word reveals about our faith in the spiritual. First of all, uh, it's not always seen immediately. It's not always seen immediately. Hebrews 11.1 one says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means we don't always see the benefits immediately. But those benefits are just as real as those we do see immediately. Not only is it always not always seen immediately, but another thing that the Bible reveals about faith in the spiritual is it always brings about reward it may not be immediately but it always brings about reward hebrews 11:2 says for by faith the elders obtained a good report hebrews 11:6 says without faith it's impossible to please god for he that cometh to god must believe that god is and that god is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We have to seek Him diligently because the rewards are not immediate. The benefits are not always immediate. It's not always seen immediately. It always brings about reward. And then the third thing the Bible reveals to us about that which is spiritual is it's not natural. It's not natural. It's not natural for us to uh, have faith In that which is spiritual. Because you and I have this idea. Well, show me. Seeing is believing. Although we don't always live according to that either. Because seeing is not always believing. Sometimes we can see things that are not actually true. Boy, illusionists have certainly taught us that. I watched David Copperfield make the uh, Statue of Liberty disappear. Now that's what my eyes told me. I know it didn't really disappear, but according to my eyes, that thing was gone. I don't know where it went. Uh, I don't know how it was done, but we do know this. It did not really just disappear into thin air. There are two contrasting worlds in verse number 13, Psalm 27, verse number 13. One of these worlds, unless we are introduced to it, we will never see. Verse number 13, the psalmist said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. The other world we need no introduction to. It's the world we see each and every day. It's the world in which we live in. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. So I want us to look at these two contrasting worlds. The world of faith. And the world of sight or the world of the goodness of the Lord or the world, the land here in which we live. I want us to look at these contrasting comparisons between these two worlds. And then I want to ask you, which world do you want to live in? So the first thing that I want us to look at is as we consider the land of sight, The land in which we are living, or the land of the living. Notice, first of all, it's a world of anxiety. Man, this world we live in is a world of anxiety. Notice the temptation found in verse number 1. Getting back to uh, what the psalmist said in the the introduction to this psalm. Psalm 27, verse number 1. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he asked this question, Whom shall I fear? Well, the question is presented because we have a temptation to fear the wrong things, to fear the things that are in the land of the living. This morning, the question was asked, where does God fit? It's a good question because really God shouldn't fit in our lives. God should be our lives. And then we try to fit everything else in. But the problem is, is, is uh, we do it just the opposite, in our work, in our play, and in everything else. We'll look on the calendar and and we'll prioritize, and and God just we try to fit God in, and if that week God doesn't fit in because of my feelings or our circumstances or our priorities, well, then we'll try to fit them in the next week, which is totally contrary to the way God says we're supposed to live, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then let everything else fit in its proper place. Well, when we live for this world it's going to cause nothing but anxiety. Whom shall I fear? The psalmist asked. The word fear means to reverence or to regard or to lift up. Our temptation is to reverence the things of this world. To regard the things of this world. To make this world number one. And then try to force God to fit in to this world in which we live. It can be in reference to our priorities. You know, if God's the light and salvation, why would we have our priorities as such that he's not at the top of them, that he's not number one? If God is my light and my salvation, God is the reason, then why in the world would I put God off? To try to fit everything else in. And why would we pay anything before paying the tithe first? The first fruits. Because God is my light and my salvation. Why would we show more respect to friends who schedule things during church? Family who will schedule things during our church services coaches who will insist that we show up to practice during church services or bosses why would we show them more respect than we do the Lord who is the light and my salvation you hear what the psalmist is saying God is my light and my salvation so who should I reverence who should I regard. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 37, Jesus said unto them in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. You know, you'll hear people say all the time, God never commanded us to be in church. He never commanded us to be in all the church services. Well, first of all, it's not true. Second of all, if it were true, I want you to think about that statement. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to go to all the church services. It proves nothing. Let me ask you this. When you took your wedding vows, did you vow in your wedding vows that you would come home every night? Is it written in your wedding vows? I will sleep with you every night. I will come home every night. You know how silly it would be to say, well, it wasn't in my vows, so I can go wherever I want to. It wasn't in my vows, so, you know, just because I'm never home doesn't mean I'm not a good husband. Or just because I'm never home doesn't mean I'm not a good wife. It wasn't in my wedding vows. No, it's part of a relationship, silly. It doesn't have to be in your wedding vows. Oh, I don't have to go home to be a good husband. Well, actually, yes, you do. If you're not home, you're a bad husband. You're an absent husband. If you don't go home, you're a bad wife. You're an absent wife. And I can say that with with surety. But it wasn't in my vows. It shouldn't have to be in your vows. You know, God shouldn't have to say not forsaking uh, the assembling of ourselves together. He shouldn't have to say that. Because he died on the cross for our sins. Because herein is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. He proved it. He showed it to us. He said by his actions, I want to have a personal relationship with you. Scripture goes on to say, he gave himself for the church. Scripture goes on to say, that the church of God is the house of God. He goes on to say that there's a certain way we are supposed to act while we're in the house of God. So to say, well, it wasn't in the vows, so I don't have to be the church, it says nothing about my Christianity. Can I say this? It says everything about your Christianity. It says you've got other priorities. Whether those priorities are your pride, your feelings, your circumstances, whatever, you've got other priorities. If my wife doesn't come home tomorrow night, tells me either she's dead or she's got other priorities. And you know what that does to me? It tells me I'm not a priority. And if day after day, if if out of... Seven days in the week, she comes home three. That's not, that's not very consistent. And yet many times we'll have four services throughout the week and I'll show up for one and then say, well, and listen, I understand. We, we talked a little bit about this this morning. I understand there, there, there are insinuating circumstances. I understand that. If you're sick. Obviously, love us. Don't come to church. <laughs> and there are circumstances. I, I also know and um, uh, the darkness and the rain in the evenings for, for some people, I understand it's a challenge. The older you get, man, I'm understanding that more and more now. I get that. I understand that. Um, however... For a lot of us, it's just more than that. It's just, I didn't feel like it. Or there's just other things going on. Or we have bought into the lie of Satan. My church attendance ought not be a measuring stick for my Christianity. It is for everything else. Hey, if... uh, you only attend work one day out of the week. You know what your boss thinks. You really don't care for your job. If you only come home three days out of the week, I'll even give you the benefit of the doubt. Four days—that's—that's—that's that's, that's most of the week, over half of the week. You know what that says to your uh, your your wife or your husband. You have other priorities. Instead of giving God our best, he often gets our spare change. Instead of giving God our best, he often gets our spare time. Instead of giving God our best, he often gets a minimal effort and little meditation because we've exhausted ourselves throughout the week on the land of the living, the world in which we live in. The world that will bring us nothing but anxiety. It's a world of anxiety. A great song we sing says, Hear ye the master's call. Give me thy best. For be it great or small, that is his test. Do then the best you can, not for reward, not for the praise of man, but simply for the Lord. So every work for Jesus will be blessed, but he asks from everyone his best. No, our talents may be few and those talents may be small, but unto him is due our best, our all. Whom should I fear indeed? All reverence and regard belong to the Lord. Revelation 4:11 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. But often we will say baseball game, you're worthy. Basketball game, you're worthy. Uh, fishing trip, you're worthy. We'll fit God in eventually. Not only is there that temptation to fear that which is in the world or reverence that which is in the world, the psalmist goes on, God is the light, he, he's my light and my salvation. So the question he's asking is, why should I reverence anything else? And then he goes on, he's the strength of my life. So of whom am I going to be afraid? So he said, if he's my salvation, why should I fear the insecurities of the land in which I live? There's no such thing as security in the world we live in. So that tempts us to worry and to be afraid. We worry about layoffs. We worry about the economy. Right now, there's plenty to worry about in the land in which we live. We may worry about terrorist attacks. We worry about health. Nothing is sure in the land of the living. That's not to say we shouldn't be cautious, but we ought not fret. In Psalm 127... Verse number two, the psalmist challenges us with this. It's vain to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. In other words, the picture that the psalmist is painting there in Psalms 127 and verse number two, he's painting the picture of a person who is fretting. And so he stays up pacing the floor walking back and forth he eats the bread of sorrows he's so worried and the psalmist says what benefit is that how does that benefit anyone he starts it out by saying it's vain and of course we know what vain is we know what the word vanity means in the bible it means to try to catch air in your hand you can't do it. It's impossible. It's vain. Trying to catch the wind. It's vain. And so why do we do it? It just seems to come so natural. It's because we make the world in which we live in our priority. That's what we fear. That's what we reverence. Hey, please understand also. I'm not standing up here as a judge saying, oh, you shouldn't do this because we're all guilty of it. Man standing behind this pulpit has done it many times, which is why we need to be reminded from the word of God. God is all powerful. Whom should I reverence? Of whom shall I be afraid? Jesus answers the question. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The desperation of the psalmist's prayer. Getting back to Psalms 27. This is what the world has to offer. Psalm Psalm 27, now verse number 7. Psalm twenty-seven, verse number seven. The psalmist says, "Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice; have mercy also upon me and answer me." Why? Why is his prayer so desperate? Because of the world he lives in. Verse eight: When thou sayest, "Seek ye my face," my heart said unto thee, "Thy face, Lord, will I seek." Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God, of my salvation. Just further evidence of the anxiety found in the land in which we live. So there's the first contrast. The the land in which we live is a land of anxiety. However, if we live by faith, the goodness of the Lord is a land of assurance. It's a land of assurance. As I said, everything in this world changes, and oftentimes for the worst. Many times, overnight, life can change. But God's land is a land of assurance. He's whom we should reverence. He's whom... We should fear. We may be tempted to have other priorities, but God's the greatest priority of them all. If I make something else my priority, eventually that something else is going to change. If I make my kids a priority, and I challenge this with with parents all the time, particularly moms, don't make your child your priority. Don't make your child or your children your God because it'll do nothing but disappoint you in the end. Because our whole point is to raise up our kids to leave us. That's the point. We are to raise them to be independent so that if God does call them on the other side of the world, That's what we raised them for. Scripture says we're to raise them to leave father and mother and cleave to their spouses, cleave to God's will. We may be tempted to have other priorities, but let us think that, or or, or let us consider That God wants us to lay our lives down as a sacrifice. Matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That's not exceptional service. That's reasonable service. We will be inconvenienced for things that really don't matter, yet we refuse to be inconvenienced for the King of Kings. Consider the investment in training, providing for, and maintaining a dog. And I say that because it's one of the first—it's it, one of the first things, uh, comparisons that are made when we compare what we put into our pets in this country in Christianity as opposed to what we put in towards missions. Consider the investment in attending, uh, attending a ball game. Um, a lot goes into it but if you want to go see a blazer game now throughout my years living in this area i think i've gone to maybe i think i've gone to four maybe five blazer games and i haven't paid for a single one of them but there was one time i'll just use one example there was one time we had a foster son And he was given from the Boys and Girls Club these free tickets to go to a Blazer game. Well, at that point, I'd never been. So I was like, wow, free tickets to a Blazer game. Let's go. Well, then there's the investment in time to get to the Blazer game. That's a major investment. Then, keep in mind, I didn't pay for the tickets. The tickets were free. But there was an investment in gas to get to the Blazer game. And then there was an investment in parking, to park at the Blazer Gate. And then, of course, you walk in, and they're like a bunch of seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. Everybody wants your money as soon as you walk into that place. Here's a program. I'll take a program. Ten bucks. You can have your program. I don't want a program. Everything costs money. And then, of course, we know food's a major investment when you go to a Blazer game. So, you know, even if you don't buy the food and you don't buy the ticket, you've spent a lot of money and a lot of time just for entertainment. And of the five games I've gone to, they've lost three or four of them. So it wasn't even good entertainment. And yet there's people that'll go to every single blazer game. Listen, I'm not against the blazers. I'm not against sports. I love sports. I, I grew up loving sports as a passion. But I have seen it go from becoming, from being entertainment to becoming a god in our society. The And what an investment. And I think about the investment that parents make for their kids to play sports. Well, you got to get them into the sport, and that's going to cost money. And then, of course, they need a uniform. That's going to cost money. And then, of course, they need to practice every single day. That's going to take time. That's going to take money running them back and forth. And then there's all kinds of sacrifices that need to be made. Again, Pastor, you think we shouldn't put our kids in sports? I think sports is a great thing. But I think we ought to treat it for what it is, entertainment and not God. And God should always come before entertainment. Of course, God should come before everything because he's my light and my salvation. He ought to be at the forefront. Not only should we reverence him, first and foremost, he's our fortification. Psalm 27, verse number one. I know this seems repetitive. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Reverence. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know, it's funny to watch, getting back to sports, it's funny to watch kids in football, practice without pads and helmets. And that's how they practice at first when, when practices first start. They're a little bit hesitant. But when you put those helmets on their heads and those pads on their shoulders, all of a sudden they think they're invincible. It's because they've been fortified in regards. The comparison is this. God's fortified us, so why do we live our Christian lives so timid? A mighty fortress is our God, is what the song says. The psalmist says, he's, he's my, the strength of my life. Paul writes that we've been given the spirit of power, not of fear. We should not be timid when it comes to living for the Lord. We should not be fearful when it comes to witnessing to others. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Job displayed in his trial and affliction assurance when he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job, how can you say that? You lost everything in one day. Well, I don't live for this life. I knew going into it. This life can change in a day, and for Job, it did. He lost everything in one day. Well, Job, what do you think about your Redeemer now? Hasn't changed a thing. I know that my Redeemer liveth. What about the Apostle Paul, who suffered every city he went into, every town he went into, And would ask, Paul, why do you keep going? Why are you going to go to the next town, Paul, when you know what's going to happen? He says, because I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against against that day. He would say in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Well Paul you went into that town Paul you went into you went to that island and and you didn't even successfully start a church what do you think now Hey for the which cause I also suffer these things Paul you went to that town and didn't even see a single person get saved what do you think of your God now For the which cause I also suffer these things Paul you were nearly killed in that town how oh, you started a church But you were nearly killed in that town. Well, for the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. I don't believe in the circumstances. I don't live in this. I don't believe in the world in which I live. I know this. It's a land of heartache, it's a land of anxiety. But God gives me assurance. Though Satan would have us doubt, God's word reminds us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the assurance that Jesus gives the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 who is living for this life, living a life of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. As a matter of fact, he reminds her. He says, go and get your husband so I can introduce you to this spring of living water, knowing exactly what she was going to say. I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right. You've had five of them. The one you live with now is not even your husband. You see, you've been living for this world. You've been reverencing this life. It's done nothing but disappoint you. Circumstance after circumstance, man after man, and so he says in John chapter 4, verse number 13, he says unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water from the land of the living, the well she had gone to, she sa- he said, you're going to thirst again. However, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give shall be in him, a well of, of water springing up into everlasting life. My, the assurance that God gives, the assurance of the land of the goodness of the Lord. The psalmist says in verse number 13 of Psalm chapter 27, he said, I'd be gone. He said, I would have fainted. Maybe you could say, as you have lived by faith, my marriage would have disintegrated. My life would be in ruins had it not been for the goodness of the Lord. What are you living for today? As we learned in Sunday school, or as the question was asked, where does God fit? Where does he fit in your life? Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed.